0: Father, this evening we just come to you. We come to you, the shepherd of our souls. Everything that we hear, we learn, is aimed at one purpose, the ultimate salvation of our souls. Even tonight, I pray the meditation of your word will bring life. It will bring forth even more insight into your ways your purposes in our life, more about your kingdom, your righteousness, what you seek from us, but what you intend to do in our lives. I pray, Lord, give us ears that listen, true listening ears, and mind that understands, and a will that perseveres until the will of God is fulfilled in each one of our lives. Speak to us, O Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We'll go to Second Corinthians uh, and uh, four eighteen, first verse. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay. That's the purpose of the pulpit every time we gather to bring you back from the seen world to the unseen world. Take our attention from this life, the issues of this life and bring our attention, our minds back to the real life that is coming. This life is like a vapor. The other life is Forever. <clears throat> And this is one of the majors, the major struggle of believers. Not unbelievers don't have this struggle. They will understand this struggle only the moment when they die. But for us, this is a daily struggle. Let's read a couple of scriptures as we go into the meat of today's word. In 1st Corinthians chapter 1, 18 to 21. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. To the world, this message may look like foolishness. But to us who believe, it is the salvation of God. Please understand this. One of the major criticisms against authentic Christianity is that it is anti-intellectual. Okay, that's one of the major criticisms. And if by intellectualism we mean the wisdom of the world, then the criticism is absolutely true. It is anti-intellectual. It is against the wisdom of the world because for God, the wisdom of the world is foolishness. There is a wisdom of this world as opposed to the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age. He says we speak of wisdom. And to those who are mature, spiritually mature, he says you will understand this wisdom. But we are not speaking the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. He says we are not talking about anything of this world. The wisdom that has come from the rulers of this world, which is all coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. That's the key. You need to understand, like I said weeks before when I preached, this is a locked book. This is a locked book. This cannot be opened with the wisdom of the world or the understanding of the prudent. It cannot be. You read this book with the wisdom and the the, the skills. I got the skill of English. But the learning I got from the university means nothing to this word. You cannot unlock it with that. If you unlock it using that, what you perceive from this is just the wisdom of the world. You do not understand the wisdom of God because it's a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. It is a hidden wisdom. It's a hidden wisdom. And we need to understand that fact. We always, when we approach this book, please remember this. It is a closed book. I'm not saying people don't read it. They do. But it is closed. Because to open this book, you have to approach it with faith. And when you approach it with faith, You approach it by looking at the things that are unseen and not with the things that are seen. Actually, the Bible opens from the beginning first page to the last page when the Bible opens. It is talking about the things that are unseen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is unseen. In the book of Hebrews 11, we'll say, by faith, we understand this. The world will never understand it. will never understand it by faith. We understand this book is talking about things that are unseen, which are eternal. In Hebrews 11 and verse 1 as we come back to this because we need to realize it is possible to approach this book with the wisdom of the world, the understanding of the prudent and look at this world, this book only in terms of this world and miss it completely because this is, we know these words very well. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Okay, you need to realize your faith will be exactly according to what you hope for. What is that you hope for? Your faith will be exactly according to that. And you know, for Christians, so many Christians, Paul will put across this very powerfully in First Corinthians 15 and verse 90. If in this life only we have hope, remember, hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If you look at the faith of most Christians, their faith in Christ is in the things of this life. He says you're the most pitiable. You've been given the glory, the mystery of God, of the things unseen. But you take your faith and you're pertaining it only on things that are seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You ask any average Christian, what do you believe for? Marks, jobs, Marriage, children, children's. You look at your prayer list. Look at your prayer list. Honestly, I don't know. I only know my prayer list. I'm talking about individually taking a check. If in this life we only have hope in We have hope in Christ. But it's in the things of this life, the sea realm. He says you're the most pitiable. It's most pitiable. You're just like a baby who crawls to the balloon when it's being offered a 2,000 rupee note. Because the baby doesn't understand with that 2,000 rupee note, you can buy 2,000 balloons. You've been given a portal to look into the things that are eternal, unseen. You take that faith and put it on things that are seen. He says, most pitiable. He said, the world, no. They don't see. They have no clue about these things. But he says, what about believers? Because that's the truth. If you look at our average believer's prayer request, even the prayer requests that are read in church, it's okay. I'm not saying you should not ask God for things that pertain to this life because he's your father. My issue is if that is only your request, we are to be pitiable because our faith is in the scene and God's verdict is very sorry set of people. That's what scripture says in Hebrews eleven six: 6. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. He is. Anyone must believe that he is. Not that he was or will be. He is. That was the test for Israel. This is an unseen God, but it's a real God he 's a living God, but he 's unseen and if he 's a living God and unseen, then my eyes should be on the unseen that 's what it said about Moses, right He left everything seeing him, who was invisible unseen. This was the major issue with Israel. In the desert, in Deuteronomy 8, 1 and 1 to 3, we know it very well. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply. Go in, possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. You shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep His commandments or not. And verse 3. He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by, this is the key, every word. Every word. It's not lives by the word of God, by every word. Will, God says, my children live by Every word that proceeds, look at the grammar, it's still proceeding. It's still proceeding. And when you look into it, yes, this is an objective. We looked at that the word of God is an objective, it's a reality. But when I approach the word of God today, it becomes subjective for me because he speaks to me today. Speaks to me from what he has spoken. He speaks to me today every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what God is saying. Because God is asking us this question. Will you live by your feelings? Or will you live by my word? Will you live by the wisdom of this world? Or will you live by my word? These are some of the first decisions a Christian has to make every day. Am I going to live by his word? Am I going to live by the wisdom of this world? Am I going to live by the word that proceeds from his mouth? Or am I going to live by what I feel? Because unless this is decided, we will not make progress today. Tomorrow is another day. 11th month is beginning. 11th month is beginning. 10 months are over. This is the decision we have to take. Because like I said in the beginning, we are assaulted on two sides. One is intellectualism. It's all intellectual. Theory after theory, idea after idea, philosophy after philosophy. And even in, like I went on this trip, I met so many young men who are from Bible colleges. All from good Bible colleges. Rima, Bante, all young, zealous young men. Then, When you first finished preaching, it's interesting, when you finished preaching, and it was, it was holidays, so it was holidays, meaning the church was packed, it was their annual convention, and they were highly intellectuals. They were civil service officers, doctors, all of them. One thing, the common thing they said is, this man knows God. So they asked me, why are you different? I said, because I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to Bible college. I met him in the pages of this book. I, within and I was joking. And you know, I was saying that whenever Jesus wanted to teach, he goes up the mountain. The crowd stay back, the disciples come. So Jesus sits down and tells his disciples, today we shall have a class on homiletics. Tomorrow we'll have it on hermeneutics. Think about it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong in this. But that's not what God is. That's not what God is. God is a person. and You need to get to know that person. And you get to know that person through every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Don't make this into an intellectual exercise. If you make this into an intellectual exercise where God calls the false notion of what is called wisdom. Because the world through his wisdom can not know god cannot know god then like i said the second assault is a feminization of culture where feelings over facts and truth it is feelings men and women it's all feelings all feelings either it is one extreme of intellectualizing everything Or it is all on feelings. I feel, therefore I am. The other side says, I think, therefore I am. And God says, I am. (laughs) And we need to find which I am you are to believe. We see, in the biblical recorded history, in this entire biblical history of different people, men and women of God, one of the most celebrated servants of God is Samuel. Simply because we have his recorded history from birth till death. Unlike anybody else. Unlike anybody else. Birth till death. Unblemished character. Unassailable testimony of a man, as a young man, as a child, as a teenager, as a man, as an old man who walked with God. And about him, there is a snippet, a little snippet about Samuel and God in his very early life. Maybe he was younger than Sai or Ajay sitting over there, Okay, younger than that. Probably five or six years old, we do not know. I want to look at that, first Samuel chapter three. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. It's awesome, right? It's written about Ajay. Ajay grew and the Lord was with him. Awesome, no? You're growing and God is with you. And let none of his words fall to the ground. There's something parallel happening. Samuel will not let any of God's fall to the ground. So God will not let any of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Awesome, no? And all Israel from Dan to Bersheba knew Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Why? Because of that word. Listen to his word. And they knew God was establishing him as a prophet. And then, then the Lord appeared again to Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Look at that. Shiloh is a place where they gather. The the Ark of the Covenant is there. They haven't gone to Jerusalem yet. It's Shiloh. Scripture says the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. How did God reveal himself to Samuel? Think about it today. The Lord revealed himself to us. Through the word of the Lord in the church. He revealed himself. And for one will say, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Oh, what a seamless.
1: The Lord reveals
0: himself to Samuel at Shiloh through the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel comes to all of Israel. What a testimony. What a testimony. Do you see the living God? That man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that's that's why we say, you know, every time we gather, we are trying to bring our minds back to the unseen. Because the seen are temporary. Unseen is eternal. And the only way possible is hanging on to every word that comes from God's mouth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 22 to 24, that same passage. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. These are the two kinds of people. One wants a subjective experience. Oh, worship was so good today. Why? Because I felt, felt subjective. Look for a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. Intellectual. It doesn't matter. They are not worried about feelings. You have to stimulate their mind. The question is, what are you today sitting here? Are you a Jew or a Greek? <laughs> How was the word today? I didn't feel anything. But Christ, we preach Christ crucified. The death of feelings and death of intellectualism let faith arise. Because that's the only way you and I can lift Christ up. Lift Christ up. Romans 1.17 Very, very familiar words. The just shall live by faith. Okay. Faith has feelings. Faith has wisdom. But that's not what is put there in the in the, in the beginning. The church shall live by faith. Faith, if you can see, you don't need faith. Only those who are keeping their eyes on the unseen require faith. Those who are living on the scene don't require faith. And faith comes from hearing. And hearing, isn't that what Deuteronomy 8.3 said? Man shall not live by bread, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing, let's say, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Hearing that mouth, that what comes from God's mouth today. And when you keep adding that up, when it is consistent, your faith grows. Because the Bible is not an intellectual exercise. It is not. Don't make it into a devotional kind of a thing. It is not. You see, the thing is that when you, when you look into these things, you need to, when you, you have to ask questions when you read the Bible, because Jesus asked questions when he heard messages. So we should ask. You see, one of the titles of Jesus is, He's the true and faithful. And the point is, you cannot be true unless you are faithful, and you cannot be faithful unless you are true. But to be both true and faithful, you need an objective reality. What are you true to? Oh, I am true. If in your in your company, let's say Raj and Google, they say, "Oh, he is true." What is he true to? What is his company talking about? He's true to the parameters established. By his company. There is an objective standard and they say when you look at him and the standards established by the company, he's true and he's faithful. Right? Jesus is true and faithful. But what is he true and faithful to? That's a title he received after he came through the human body. That's why, you know, it's very, very familiar with all these verses. We need to go back to Hebrews 10 verses 5 to 7. Therefore, when he came into the world, his sacrifice and offering, you did not decide. But a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, okay? He's faithful because he kept God's will. He was true because he kept the will according to what was written. He didn't step outside the parameters of what was written. The same book that is given to you and me. What he is saying is God is not interested in our sacrifices and our offerings if we do not agree with and keep his will which is revealed through this. Revealed through this. You see, if you ever confront somebody with something in normal life, he says, why did you do this? They will always recount their sacrifices. Always talk about, oh, the sacrifice. But that was not the question. This was an objective standard. Why did you step out of this? That was the question. They will never come to this. Instead, they will talk about all the sacrifices they made in their life. God is saying all these sacrifices you made, the offerings you made, made doesn't make any relevance when you have not gone by what is written. That's the objective standard. If you keep this, then all this has meaning. If you don't keep this, this has no meaning at all. Your sacrifices are in vain. Any, in a family situation, in a church situation, in an office situation. No, it's in a family situation. If there is an issue, the issue is connected with truth. Somebody step outside, a husband, a wife, a child, a mother, a father, whatever it is over there. When you are directed the question over that, without coming to the point of the question, they will recount all the sacrifices they made for the family. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is, where did I stray away from what is revealed as the will of God? That's God. God is looking at. Come back to that. Sacrifices and offering, you did not desire. He said, I have come for one purpose, to do your will. And that will is here. It's here. It's revealed through this. That is our major issue. Our major issue is with this objective reality which we hold in our hands. That is our major, major, major issue. That is what Jesus was trying to tell his, his disciples. He did many things in his early life. But only one thing actually mattered. Luke 24 verses 25 to 27, he said to them, oh foolish one, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets I have spoken. You're so foolish. He said, you did not look at the word, everything that was told about the Messiah. And you didn't look at this and you didn't look at what I was doing. You should have looked at this and he says, this, this tally. You didn't look at it. You didn't see that my life I lived before you tallied exactly with what the prophets had prophesied about me. If you had seen that, ought not Christ have suffered these things to enter into his glory? It's all there. All over the Bible it is there. From the beginning till the end. It is not written. And you did not correlate what is written, what was being lived before you. You are foolish. Foolish. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded in them all the scriptures, the things concerning him. So he says, you only have to look into the written word. And that's the truth about all of us. All I have to look into the written word and says, am I fulfilling scripture? That's all it matters. Examine yourself, scripture says. All I have to is look into the word, look into my life. Look into my word, look into my life. Am I fulfilling scripture or not? because the body cannot have a destiny that is different from the head. If I steal Pastor Vijay's iPhone and uh, I am in court and I tell the judge, sorry, sir, I did not know it is my hand that did it. But isn't my hand attached to my body and my body attached to my head? So can my hand steal without my head knowing? Can my body have a destiny different from the head? I have to look at it that way. Can I have a destiny that is different from Christ? Church is his body. Paul will put it up beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He will say it this way. For I deliver to you first of all that which has also received that Christ died for our sins. No. According to the scriptures. His death had to fulfill what was written. Otherwise his death is not valid according to scriptures he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures according to the scriptures then and he was seen by the cephas by the 12 after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remained the present some have fallen asleep and after that he was seen by james if you look at the first two verses he is saying i believe in him Because his life tallied with scripture. The subsequent three is a subjective reality. We saw him. We saw him. We saw him. The risen Christ. But that is a subjective reality. My faith is not first on what I saw. My faith is on what I have read tallied with his life. The first is the objective reality, according to scriptures, according to scriptures. And after that, we saw the resurrected life. Fifteen years from now, you can think, what's that vision? All the subjective experiences which I had with God, it just fades with time. Your mind plays tricks. Your mind starts even changing your testimony. Oh, we remember those days in Egypt when we ate leeks and garlic and fish and meat at no cost. Really? Really? You see, subjective reality, have we changed? A few months into the desert and eating manna alone, suddenly Egypt was a resort. You see, that is why we need to come back to the objective reality of the written word and say, Lord, this is my truth. What I feel and what the world says is irrelevant. I stand on this. I live by this. I die by this. This is what you have given me. And
1: anything I hear
0: or I feel which cannot be subjected to this, stand back. You see, scripture cannot be replaced by visions. Scripture cannot be replaced by dreams. Scripture cannot be replaced by anything that is subjective. It cannot be. That is the 21st century Christian's issue. We need to come back to scripture. Come back to Scripture. The word of the Lord came to God, who spoke to a little boy with an audible voice, yet spoke to him through the word, at Shiloh. And the word of the Lord came from Samuel to all of Israel. And he's standing there in that objective reality of God's revealed will through the word. Now he's an old man. And listen to this old man say at the end of his life in First Samuel. And Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that is said to me, and I have made a king over you. Now here is the king walking before you. I am old, gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Wow. From childhood to this day, I have walked before you. Before you. And next verse. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed, whose ox I have taken, whose donkey have I taken, whom I have cheated, whom I have oppressed, from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes, I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. He said, From childhood till today, I have walked not with you, I have walked before you in the light of what was written. If you have any complaints, you can speak now. That was his testimony. That was his testimony. And Paul in the new covenant at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, it's not about I have fought the good fight. It's not about finishing the race. He said, I have kept the faith. I kept the faith. This objective reality called his faith. I have kept it. This is where truth stands or falls in our life. Samuel, Elijah, all these people were subject to feelings just like us. But in their lives, the word of God was supreme. It is not that they were not people, not subject to feelings. Probably they were even more subject to feelings. But they never left feelings Replace the word of God. In 1st Samuel chapter 15 verse 35. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless Samuel mourned for Saul. Get that. He's mourning for somebody. Grieving over somebody. But he will not meet him. Because God said you cannot meet him. God said you cannot meet him. They are not bereft of feelings. Their feelings are intense, but they are not allowing their feelings to determine their actions. They are allowing the word that proceeded from the mouth of God to determine their actions. He said, nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. His heart is aligned with the will of God. And that's what God is talking about. We may have intense feelings. And then there is faith which will rule in our life. I'm telling you this seriously in this 21st century Christian culture, feelings, which are also attitudes, various feelings, attitudes, anger, worry, anxiety, pride, laziness, laziness, complacency, sarcasm, flippant, like Cain, Where is your brother? Where is your brother? These are attitudes. I'm a brother's keeper. Flippant answers. Sarcastic. You hear it all the time in churches. In James chapter 3 and verse 2. We all stumble in many things. If he does not stumble in the word, he's a perfect man. Just flippant when it comes to things of God. Flippant answers. Sarcastic answers. Casual. Without realizing that one word would make him a wanderer and bring judgment upon his entire generation. Then when God's judgment is over, not a trace of Cain or his descendants would be left. Because of one flippant answer. I'm my brother's keeper. Attitudes. Saul attitudes. You, you can put it as subjective, very subjective feelings. But it comes out at very crucial moments in the lives of people. And after that, if you look their graph in life, they never come up. They go down. They go down. lie. in 1 Samuel 3.18, after Samuel tells him what God told him. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Look at it. The judgment over you and your household. You should be renting your garments, renting your heart. You know this God. You know this God. He's compassionate, he is merciful. You know that if you rent your heart, he will change his mind. No, it's fine. It's okay. Let him do what he does. Casual. And a little later he will die. And his sons will die. And the glory will go. Casual. Look at responses of People, when the word of God comes to you, that's why we, when the word of God comes to us, we need to look at our responses because it reveals our attitude, who we are really inside. Another man, Hezekiah, just actually going through and looking at this incredible people and at crucial moments in their lives. Second Kings. In those days, Hezekiah was sick near death. I said, the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. That's it. Immediately the response is intense. He turned his face toward the wall, prayed to the Lord saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I walk before you in truth with a loyal heart. I have done what was good in your sight. He wept bitterly. Response, fantastic. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. This is the word proceeding from the mouth of God. Okay? I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days, 15 years, I will deliver you this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Incredible. Because of the response little later, we know, the Babylonian envoys come, he opens up everything. Now look at, again, the same man in verses 14 to 19. Then Isaiah, the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say and from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, they came from a far country from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. I said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Man shall live by Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here. Behold the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall be take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. There shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? Did you see? How casual. Earlier when it concerned himself, he broke down bitterly. Now it concerns another generation. He says, it's okay, it's not going to happen in my time. Has God changed? A God who would make Isaiah go back, even before he has finished prophesying, he's only reached the middle court, he goes back and changes what God has spoken. At 15 years, can't God change his mind again? See, we do not actually see the entire gamut of feelings and attitudes with which people approach God and his word. Above all the word. Because this is the objective reality. Above all the word. You need the privacy of your room. If you study your Bible. When you approach the word, the word is watching you. The living word is watching you, how you approach this. When you are sitting in the church on a Wednesday or a Sunday or any other day, the living word is watching how we receive the word. Because this is the objective reality of God in my life. Everything else can be subjective, but not this. This is real. This is right there before me in black and white. The scripture is right before your eyes, clear, printed out. You cannot escape this. My attitude to this will determine the course of my life and my eternal future. Not security, my eternal future. This is where Jesus commands Mary. You know, I was talking about spiritual attitude on Sunday. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. I said, there are two things in scripture we have to look at. One is attitude. The other is action. We can all be sitting in chairs. It doesn't matter. But the question is, in your spirit, where are you seated? Where are you seated? In your spirit, there is only one place you can be seated to be taught of God. It has to be always at his feet. There's no other place. Only those who in their heart are seated at the feet of God can be taught of God. There is an attitude and there is an action. Those who haven't learned to sit at his feet also struggle to hear him. In everything you go through scripture, there is an attitude in the kingdom and there is a correlating action in the kingdom. Most of us rethink that our struggle is with listening and understanding. God says no. Your struggle is first with your attitude. With your attitude. When your attitude is right, then the action according to that attitude will follow. Let, let's look at another attitude and action. In Acts chapter 4 34 to 35. This is in the act of giving in the church. Now was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. This is a, let us say, typical offertory time in the apostolic church. What is happening? And the, they sold, they brought the proceeds and laid them at the Apostles the offering back may be coming through the aisles, but you lay the money at the feet of the apostles. Everybody who has not laid their money at the feet of God has questioned the money. And they have fallen away because of that. Because it's a question of attitude. There's an attitude. There is an action. There is an action here. And there is. An attitude here. Attitude here. And Isaiah 66, 6, verse 1 and 2, very familiar passage for GTC, is first talking about attitude. First, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, where is the house that you will build me, where is the place of my rest, for all these things my hand has made, all these, those things exist. But on this one I will look. God says, this is the one I look. Who is that? On one who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. He says, I can only speak to those who are poor, contrite, broken and who trembles at my word. That's why I said it is a locked book. It is locked because one of the first things you need for this book to be unlocked for our understanding is attitude. When my attitude is wrong, the book is locked. And I am struggling. See, this is supposedly, not supposedly, honestly, this is the most exciting book ever in life. It is so exciting because it is up to date. It is living. It's better than any fiction, any romantic novel, any mystery novel, anything. Yet people don't read. They cannot sustain their interest in this book because it is locked. Because it is locked. You have the creator of this universe who says, I look at you and I will speak to you and we are not able to receive simply because it is locked because of an attitude in the heart. And God says, come to me with that attitude. I will unlock this book. Now, I'm not saying attitude alone is enough. They tremble his word. In James chapter 2, 19 we have a set of people whose attitude is right. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. You see, when it comes to attitude, the demons have a better attitude. We tell it in English, you you got an attitude. God says it's true, the demons have an attitude which is right, they tremble. At my word, they tremble. You will see every time Jesus walked on earth, when the demons came out, their confession is absolutely correct according to the attitude. Why have you come, son of the most high God? Even when Paul is going with, with Silas, the attitude of the demonic spirit, is not wrong. accept so this man is anointed, he's a servant of the true God. Oh, servant of the most high God. Attitude is right. Even demons have right attitude when humans don't have. Humans need to, need to come up to the demons when it comes to attitude. But attitude alone is not there. There is an action. The action is called obedience in James chapter 2 verse 21. Was not our Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered his son on the altar? There was an attitude and there was an action. What the demons don't have is that action. When there is an attitude and a corresponding action, in Genesis 22, verse 12, you know what? God actually told Abraham when he offered Isaac, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know you fear God. You tremble at my word. I know that. It's interesting, no? He's not saying, I know that you love me. He says, I know that you fear me. You have trembled at my word and followed it up with obedience. I know that you fear me. Followed up. Attitude, action. Therefore, verse 18, in your seed, all nations on earth shall be blessed. You shall be a blessing. Because your attitude and your action tallies, you will become a blessing.
1: One man's
0: attitude and action brought blessings which still continue. The attitude was he trembled at God's word and he followed it up with absolute obedience and he became a blessing. What is God trying to say? Everyone sitting over here, if your attitude is right, your action follows, you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. It will be a blessing to more than you can actually think about spiritually be a blessing. In Hebrews 11 and verse seven scriptures talks about an attitude and an action. By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, unseen. Moved with God and prepared. Moved with godly fear and attitude. And prepared an ark. We have to come back to the truth of scripture. Moved with godly fear. How do you know he moved with godly fear and prepared? What does this godly fear has to do with preparing? Because it will show how you prepare. In Genesis 6 and verse 22, Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. That is because of that attitude. God said this, 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 this details, He kept to the T. Because of those who don't have godly fear, don't listen to the instructions carefully. You see, to even to hear, to listen the instructions carefully, there is an attitude. Otherwise, what will happen? Those people will ask 15 times when you could have heard the first time. Why do you keep on asking, what did you say, what did you say, what did you say, what did you say? say? I forgot, I didn't understand. It's because your attitude stinks. With Noah, with godly fear of things not seen. And therefore he heard and he kept the, twice it is mentioned in chapter 7. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. All. Jesus had to say this. In Matthew 7, 24 to 27, two sets of people. Individually, you look at it, two sets of people or two people. One is wise, one is foolish. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Very familiar. But it's so familiar, we miss out that it is absolutely true. How do you hear and how do you keep? How do you hear and how do you keep? Rains descended, floods came, winds blew, beat on that house, it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears the sayings of mine, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who has built his own in the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house and it fell. And great was its fall. He heard, he obeyed. It's very simple, right? An individual's life. Everything that we are building. Is being tested. By a loving God. With rains. Floods. And storms. And storms of life are very good. So that we are able. We have a chance. To rebuild it. And make it true to the word. We don't. We think the storms of life are bad. No they are very very good. So that all the things in your and my life. That has crumbled under this assault. God is saying it is not true. Blessed is the man or woman who is assaulted by storms. Because he will be able to rebuild. And make his life true. Because all the storms in this life are temporary. Because what is coming Permanent is what is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 12 to 15. There is no storm there. There is no rain there. There is no wind there. Scripture says if anyone builds, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by. There is no rain. There is no storm. There is no wind. There is just fire. Either it is burnt or it survives. So the question is God says, which do you want? Do you want the storm, the rain, the wind now? So that let it crash. Go back to my word. Hear from me. Start rebuilding it. So that when the fire comes, what you rebuilt stands. Because when this happens, the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Then feelings won't matter. Oh, I built it with so much feeling. Oh, I... Did a PhD in philosophy and I had an emmant in teaching and I built it. God says, fire. Will it stand fire? Because that day that what we say in English, the die is cast and judgment is set. That was one of the reasons Jesus spoke in parables. Why? To see if we hear or not. If I speak to you in, I speak to you in any English for most of you, many, it doesn't matter. But I'm talking about Jesus when people followed him. He always made truth very complex. He spoke to them in parables. He used parables to separate people. In Psalm 78 verse 2, scripture says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Actually, if you look at Jesus teaching, He opened His mouth in parables. And it was, it was like, even the disciples said, what does this mean? Finally, they started complaining, why do you always speak in parables? Now don't sit there and think we understand all these parables because we have been taught. And after all this teaching, the fact is that we still don't understand those parables. In Mark chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? This is the most familiar of all parables, the parable of the sword. He says, Don't you understand this parable? How then you will understand all the parables? Why is he saying this connected with this particular parable? Because this particular parable is all about hearing. He says, if you don't understand this parable, the beginning, to understand anything you need to learn to hear. And if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? You see, we come back to hearing. Hearing itself is the first test the disciples have to pass. First test. Because the soil, is not the issue. The issue is the ear. There are superficial hearers. Kling, kling, gone. Then there are very emotional hearers. They are so excited. Then the sun comes out. And kling, shopping online. Gone. What is gone? Then there are these carnal, worldly-minded hearers because their faith is according to their hope. And their hope is all under the sun. Not above the sun or about the sun, under the sun. Everything is under the sun. You see? Am I a superficial hearer? Am I an emotional hearer? Am I a carnal, worldly hearer? Or God says, the good, honest hearer who retain, retain. This is a trick I do every place I go, every place I go. I ask them, uh, I speak to them in their language and said, all oh, are you happy? Did you go to church on Sunday? They all said, yes, Pastor Bob, we went to church. I said, do you, do you remember what you heard on Sunday? They don't realize, uh, uh, uh. I said, you see, if you watch TV on Sunday evening and it was a serial, you know where it is ending because you're waiting for the next part. And I say, you think it's a joke. It is not a joke. It is a judgment. It's a judgment. That's where your heart is. That's why you don't remember what you heard. You don't realize. We are fulfilling that parable in our own lives. Superficial. The enemy came, took. The enemy came, took. The enemy came, took. The enemy came, took. We have retained nothing. If we have retained nothing. And a house is being built on the sand. All it takes is not even the wind. A breeze. He said, those who understand, those who keep, those who persevere, those who persevere. That is why what is important is, how do I hear? How do I hear? How do I hear the word of God? That's why Jesus, God says, I speak to those who tremble at my word. It's an attitude of the heart. <laughs> How do we hear the word? Listen, listen to, look at two people, very familiar, common people in Jesus' life, Luke 10, 38 to 40. Now it happened as the wind that he entered a certain village, a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into a house. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Martha was distracted with much serving. She approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus is in the house. He's ministering the word. Listen to how the response of somebody to the word. Look at the attitude that is coming out of somebody else's mouth. Do you know why Martha was not able to hear the word? It's because of the attitude of her heart. She opened her mouth and the attitude was displayed on 7-day screen. you see why she was not able to hear anything? Though she was in the same house? Because of an attitude of how do you hear. Do you see any fear of God? No. Do you see though Jesus was in her house many times and there were sacrifices and offerings in her service towards Jesus the word was actually locked out of her life every time. She served Jesus with much sacrifice every time he came there. But she could never receive the word because it was locked out because of her attitude. God is not looking at our service first. He's not looking at our serving and our offerings. He's not. He's looking first. How do we hear? Remember? Few weeks back, I said, from Proverbs 1 to 6, talks about all those things we should desire. Then I said, verse 7 is the key. The fear of God. The fear. And, and the fact is that there is no fear of God. Hardly any fear of God in the lives of people. We are not talking about the world here. This has got nothing to do with the world. The word of God is not for the world. It is only for His people. The first five books of the Bible was written only when a people had left Israel, Egypt, and come into the wilderness. Then only the book was written and given to them. The word of God is not for the world. It's for God's people who are separated. But for us to receive the word of God, we need the fear of God. And if we don't have the fear of God, we don't realize, Oh Lord, this book, is it locked in my eyes, locked to my ears? Listen to people talk. Listen to people talk, and you will know. Look at First Peter chapter one, verse seventeen. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in. So this is how you need to live on earth. Listen to people talk. Listen to the conversation of people. That's why conversation is a revealer. How flippant people are when they talk. There's no fear of God. In the book of Malachi, it is written. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. God says the conversation of those who fear God is absolutely different from the conversation of those who don't fear God. Very flippant in their conversation. Very flippant. And it says, God is listening and writing down a remembrance of the conversation of those who fear God. God also listens, right? Listen to employees. You're all employees. Students, employees. First Peter chapter 2 verse 18. Servants be submissive master with all. This is an attitude. This is an attitude. We are not talking about being trembling before your employer. That's not. It's an attitude of how you speak to your employer, to your boss, those God, not man, God. Don't worry about what man says. God has put over you. God has put over you. We don't realize these are fundamental things God looks to unlock things into the unseen. I've told you, these are things which he taught to me over about my bosses in the secular realm. I've told you many times that when I worked in the secular realm many 20 years back, my student was my boss my ex-student was my boss and my Sunday congregation member was my second boss two years never sat in his presence until he told me sit down never called him by name never called him by name though he gave me that that freedom to address him whichever way I wanted because he would only call me sir. And it had nothing to do with him. It had to do with the God who appointed me. Sometimes we don't realize we block the unseen realm by our attitude in our classrooms, in our workplaces workplaces. Unseen realms could be open for Joseph and Daniel in their private spaces because of their attitude in their public spaces. What the world says, those things are irrelevant to us. We don't serve the world. We serve our God. Listen to men talk. That's what I said. Listen to men talk. Listen to men behave. Listen to employees behave. Listen to women behave. Listen to women talk to and about their husbands. Married women. Talk to and about their husbands. It's irrelevant what their husband is like. Matters. How you deal with what God has said. In 1st Peter 3.2. When they observe your chase accompanied by sir block this is blocked or open for a woman how he deals with a husband we don't realize these things are important to god Listen to the testimonies of people. When people come, you no, know, hi. I hear all these WhatsApp testimonies. Hi, my name is this. I am from this Brahmin background. Big deal. First Peter 3 and verse 15. Sanctify the Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Much testimony. You see neither meekness nor fear. A lot of pride. No fear. You understand how God locks the book? Why did he unlock the book for his son? Hebrews 10 verses 5. Sorry, 5 verse 7 and 8. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered a prayer, supplication, where Christ, cries, tears to him, was able to save him from death. This is the action you see. If you were there when Jesus was growing up or any time in his ministry, if you went early in the morning, woke up with him, followed him quietly, found the secluded place where he was, stood a little away and heard him, you would have fear, action, display, real prayer, tears and howling and crying. And he was heard because of his godly fear. That was the attitude. That's why he was heard not just because of his cries and his prayers. God didn't look at his action alone. He looked into his heart and he saw his fear. The question is, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The question is, how am I going to seek the kingdom unless I have the attitude of the kingdom? I have to seek the kingdom. And he has to open this kingdom for me because the kingdom is unseen. In Hebrews 12 and verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. From the beginning, Jesus stepped out into the public realm and opened his mouth. He said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Till he was taken away in Acts chapter 1, scripture says he was teaching the disciples about the kingdom the unseen that is coming. But the question is, how do you and I know this kingdom unless our heart is right with God? Right with God about this. We need to realize we are living at a time like never before in human history where we have internet, we have every scholarly application, possible on the net. Any word in the Bible you can search and in in seconds you have millions of answers coming up but people still don't know their God. Because spiritual things cannot be substituted by technical things. Spiritual attitudes cannot be substituted by intellectual exercise. Cannot be. Cannot be. Those were the final words of Solomon. Intellectual exercise. He searched everything. Knew everything about creation. But when it came to the creator. His final words. What does he say? Ecclesiastes 12.13 Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Not just keep his commandments. Keeping his commandments is action. Fearing God is an attitude. He says attitude and action should tally. Action alone doesn't work with God. Attitude and action. And that attitude and action is what God is looking for. And he's not a respecter of persons. Anybody, anywhere longs, asks, receives his attitude and follows off with the action by his power. Things starts opening up for you and me. That's how you walk in the light of the unseen. That's where we began. The things that are seen are temporary. Why is everybody weighed down? I'm not talking about this chat. I'm using normal conversation. Why is that everywhere you go, people are weighed down? Why are you weighed down? Because you're weighed down by the scene. Why are you so excited? Because you are excited also by the scene. The unseen is having no effect on either your weight on your soul or on your on your excitement. It's all about the scene. The apostles. The Bible was written for a separated people. The Old Testament was written for a separated people who came out of Egypt. The New Covenant was written for a set of people who came through the waters. Who had died to the seen. And was moving into the unseen. They were going into the unseen. A land they had only heard about and not seen. And that was what God was telling in Deuteronomy. You haven't seen. But if you hear my voice... And obey my commandments. The seen, the unseen, will become your living reality. And he's telling us the same thing. You listen to my voice and you walk by faith. The unseen will become your living reality. Otherwise you'll be always pulled down by this world. This world is not getting better. It's a false myth. Nothing is getting better. It's false hope. One day the stock market goes up, everybody's excited, next day it crashes. Everybody's depressed. Again, you will tell me a single day when you can actually look at the newspaper and be excited. Not even in cricket. Even West Indies can defeat India in India. <laughs> Unbeatable team in India. Yeah. Third rate team from Caribbean came and smashed us in our Antelangana, Andhra. So nothing excites you. You can have the best, the most sophisticated of the Boeing jets and it disappears. It's the latest. The old ones are still flipping around. The latest one went. Everybody died. Day for yesterday. Did you see? Any good news? Anywhere? No. And are these things weighing us down? Your eyes are on the scene. That's how you look into the word of God. And look what God is saying. And say, Lord, appropriate, O oh Father. Because the word of God is living. I think I gave you Ephesians 4.15. Did I give you Ephesians 4.15? It's very interesting. Okay, Look at Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love. God says, hang on to the truth. Hang on to love, truth and love, truth and love. To whom did he say this? Which church is the letter written? Efficient? Church. Right? To which church? And what does he say in Revelation 2, 4? Nevertheless, I have against you. See, the very church to the which this was written, they kept the truth and forgot the love. Imagine God writes you a personal letter saying, Dr. Richard, um, when he's writing something personal, it is something got to do with you. And then five years down the line, what was told to you personally, you have forgotten. They're fantastic when it comes to truth. This church bang on the mark. But when it comes to love, it's gone. It's gone. And the church is gone. We can have it right before our eyes written about the last day's church. The Laodicean church. The parameters of success. Wealth, numbers, name. That's how success is calculated in this world, right? How many employees does Google have? (laughs) How many is the revenue of Google? That's how companies are rated. Employees, turnover. Reputation. Is that how Lavadesha was rated? Yes. 317. That's how it was they rated. Because you say I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. The problem is this indictment is right before our eyes. But everything that is written about this church is exactly what Christians are pursuing in life. Even the young ones sitting over there. What do you want to be? Rich. Why are you pursuing this particular career? Rich got nothing to do with the will of God. Rich. That's where money lies. That's where name lies. That's where fame lies. That's what I'm pursuing. The will of God is irrelevant in this picture. Irrelevant. And we teach our children to pursue those same things without realizing. Indactment is staring right in our face. I am the Labodician Church. I am. Blind, naked, wretched, poor. It is right before my eyes and I cannot see myself. Because the book is locked. The book is locked. Do we see? Right before our eyes? Absolutely foolish to believe like Samson. Absolutely foolish like Samson. Judges 16 verse 20 scripture says. She said the Philistines are upon you. Samson she awoke from his sleep and said I will go out as before as other times. Shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had departed from him. Why did he did not know? Because he did not realize his consecration had gone. Here is a Laodicean church exactly like Samson. They did not realize the consecration has gone and the Lord was outside. Samson did not know his consecration was gone and the Spirit of God has gone. When a believer becomes worldly, his consecration has gone and his anointing goes. It's outside. Yet, what are we pursuing? That's why I'm saying, where are our eyes? Are our eyes on the unseen or our eyes on the seen? Where are our eyes? What are we perceiving? It's all there before us. Written black and white, black and white, hundreds and hours of teaching. It's all before us. But where are our eyes? On the seen or the unseen? I was telling, as I close, I was telling the dear ones and all this, you know. Sometimes humor is better in rustic native language than than uh, English. I said, do you hear about uh, John the Baptist? When they came and told him, look, the rabbi you pointed, more people are going to him than to you. You They're trying to create some jealousy and all. He's cool. He says, no, a man should not have anything more than what God has given him. He said something. He said, my joy... Is what bridegroom's friends' joy? Is that your joy? I ask people. I honestly ask people. A wedding is coming now. This next month we have a wedding, right? But most people will be dressed better than the bridegroom. Why? Because they don't want the bridegroom's friends' joy. They want to shine better than the bridegroom. Have you noticed in every wedding? You never know if the bridegroom had to step from the stage. You will never know who is the bridegroom. Everybody is dressed like a bridegroom because nobody wants to give second place. Even on somebody's wedding day. The bride hasn't bought her costume. People are already thinking wedding is coming. What should I buy? What should I wear? You know why? Because our mind is inclined towards those things. We don't realize these little little things are eye openers where my mind is. I will not give a second place to a man or a woman even on the wedding day. And we don't realize wedding days are eye-openers the heart and the intents of people. John the Baptist said, my joy is the joy of the bridegroom's friend. I know my place. This is who I am. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. He's the bridegroom. I'm the bridegroom's friend. We don't realize every day it's an eye-opener when we look into the word And see, Lord, where do I stand? Where am I? Seen or the unseen? The temporary or the eternal? That's a question God asks. So this evening, last day of the 10th month, 10th is for judging, examining us of the last day. Young and old, young and old. Examine our hearts. Who am I? Child of this world. Child of God. A pilgrim, an alien in this world. A citizen of heaven. What is the attitude of my heart? Where are my eyes? What do I see? What do I seek? Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. Exactly ten months are over, Lord. You're on the last day, tomorrow another day begins. This eleventh month, I pray, there would be a change in our attitude towards you and to your word, the one objective reality that you have given us. Your word. That when we read your word. We are allowing you to read us. Because only you know who we are. We even ourselves can fool ourselves. Thinking we are right when we are wrong. Only you can. Tell us. So father I pray this 11th month. We'll have an encounter. With the living word. The living God. Because in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Speak to us tonight, every day, every night. Let us not hear, stop hearing the Word that proceeds from your mouth. Help us to lift our eyes up and see Jesus. Help us to lift our eyes up and see the unseen. Help us to see Him who is invisible. And obey. Commit the 11th month tomorrow, starting tomorrow into Thy hands, Lord. Maybe Father, you came in the third hour. We missed it. You came in the sixth hour. We missed it. You came in the ninth hour. You missed it. The day is almost over. But scripture says you came at the eleventh hour. And you still found some standing. And you give them an opportunity to serve you. And today in this eleventh hour that is beginning tomorrow. If there are still people standing who haven't surrendered. And offered their lives to serve you. I pray today would be that day. Because the reward for all of them at the end was the same. Because God had mercy on a few at the 11th hour. And I pray this 11th hour, 11th month, we find mercy and grace in your sight. Be with us, Lord. We need you. We need you more in this 11th month than we needed you in this all 10th month. 10 months, Lord. Because I believe by the ministry of your word and your spirit, we are poorer in the spirit today than ever before. We are more aware of our nakedness, our wretchedness, and our desperate need of you than ever before, Lord. We need you, Father. We need you. Like never before, we need you. Be with us. Strengthen us. Fill us. Thank you, Father. You brought us safely, and we believe you will reach us safely. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray Amen.